be in your house this morning. We're so glad to be lifting up the name of Jesus. We're so glad that you're alive today, God, and you're living in us, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, we're so filled with joy in this place, God. God, you've given us joy, God. You've given us peace, God. You've given us rest, Lord Jesus, from the troubles of this world. You've given us a safe refuge to come, Lord, and to sit at your feet, God. Lord, this is what it's about, Lord. This is what Christianity, this is what discipleship is about, is about being in your presence, God. Jesus, we just want to be in your presence. Can you just close your eyes with me right now? This is just going to help you cut out some distraction right now around you. Can you just think on Jesus right now? Think about who he is right now. Think about who he is. This song was talking about how he, how he died in that cross, that he, that he um, conquered death and the grave right now. He did that for you. He did that for your sin, the things that kept you from him. He came. He selflessly gave his life for you and for me. Come on, let's think about Jesus. Lord, it's all about you, God. It's all about being in your presence. It's all about giving you praise. It's all about being near you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we look to you, God. We want to see you this morning. Come on, if that's your heart this morning, you just want to see God. Maybe things have gotten cloudy this week, and it's been difficult to see him. Right now is your time, man, just to focus on him. Say, God, I want to see you today. I want to see you, Jesus. Take away the clouds, oh God, of this week. Take away the, the things that have gotten in the way of you, Lord. I want to see you right now. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Holy Spirit, expose our hearts right now, even now. Even now, Holy Ghost, expose our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, would you grab on the heartstrings, God, on our heartstrings and pull us closer to you, God. God, as we fix our eyes upon you, God, let us see you for who you are, a loving God, a loving Father, desiring to come near to us, Jesus. We're hungry for you this morning. We're hungry for you today. Come on, just say that, God, I want you. I just want you today, God.
Jesus, you're the reason why we live, Jesus. God, we want to believe this song. God, you're the reason why we've come. You're the reason why we lift our hands. God, you're the reason why we can sing this song. It's because of you, Jesus. Can you just reach out your hands to him this morning? Come on, just reach out your heart to his, God. Say, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you, Jesus. So I wait. So I
you and living for you, God. It's all about being at your feet, Jesus. We just want to be with you, Lord. If you need to come to this altar to get alone with him, you want to do what this song says, I'm falling on my knees, I'm falling on my face. Let's not be ashamed to get alone with him this morning. You're all I live for. You're all I live for. You're all this heart needs. You're all I live for. Jesus, you're all this heart needs. Oh, you're all I live for. You're one I live for. You're all this heart needs. You're all I need. You're all I need. Jesus. Oh, you're all I live for. Come on, not for my family, not for my house, not for my mortgage, not for my health, not for security. It's for you, Jesus. You're what I live for, God. Jesus. Jesus. Keep talking to the Lord. Come on, keep surrendering those parts of your heart to Him. You're what we live for, Jesus. I'm yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine, Jesus. and the reason for life, for living, is to know Him. 
the reason why you were born, the reason why you're in this place, the reason why you're breathing. Many of you have faced death several occasions and you, you think to yourself, how in the world am I alive today? And the reason is so that you would know him, so that you would know God. Many of you have faced sicknesses, near-death experiences, crazy things have happened in your life, trauma in your life, and you're, you're wondering why you're even alive. And the reason is because he loves you. He wants to know you. He wants relationship with you today. If he's calling your name right now, your heart is beating out of your chest, you know that Jesus is calling your name. I want to invite you right now to this altar. Come on, get out of your comfort zone. Get out of you being embarrassed. Come on, it's not about you. He is calling you out. That's love today. That's real love. Come on, that's you. That's you. Come up to this altar. You've been running for a long time, or you've strayed away, or this is the first time you've ever really experienced the hand of God. Right now is your opportunity, your chance to respond to his love. Come on, the word says that he knocks on the door of your heart. And that's all he's going to do is knock. He's not going to barge in. He's not going to push that door down. He's going to knock. And it's your responsibility, your chance to open up that door and to let him in. Come on, I'm giving you this opportunity to open up that door to Jesus. You've opened up a crack in the past maybe. You've let him into the hard parts of your life. But you never really busted open that door for him. Come on, that's you. That's you right now. That's you. Come on, stop running. Come, run to this altar. Run to the mercy seat of Christ. Come on. Jesus, you're calling out our names, Lord. Shandara Run to the altar this morning. Run to the feet of Jesus. You'll find mercy and forgiveness and rest. Hallelujah. Freedom from your past. Power of God rests in this place. Power of the Spirit draw men to the cross. Freedom in the name of Jesus. If you're not up here yet, come on, come. Come, your opportunity. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Holy Ghost. you in and we let you fill us up. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, we let you in and we're going to let you fill us up now. We've emptied ourselves. We've surrendered it, God. And now we're going to let your Holy Spirit fill us up. Fill us up, Jesus, with the Holy Ghost.
Let's just meditate on those words that we've received. Let's just meditate on those words right now. We've heard what the Lord is saying. God is speaking to us today, comforting us, encouraging us, calling us back to Himself because He desires us. He desires a relationship with you. Relationships change. They go through ups and downs. And God is saying, even though things have changed, He has not changed. Even though there's been bad times and good times in your life, He has not changed. This is a relationship. He's teaching you how to trust Him. In a greater way, teaching you how to draw nearer to Him. He's teaching you how to change. There were some things that God couldn't deal with you the day you got saved. But He's dealing with you now. And He's saying, just like Ishmael saying, repent, get rid of those things. And the devil would love for you to feel condemnation, but God is saying, no, I'm dealing with you now in these things. There's others of you, like we heard at the beginning, you've gone through hurt and pain and you're so tempted to shake your fist back towards God and he's saying, I'm, I'm asking you to trust me like, like that uh, story of the footprints. He's carrying you and he's asking you to trust him. So many different things going on right now. Let God just speak it individually to you. Come on, we've heard the words of the Lord this morning. Just a few more moments in his presence. Jesus, that's what separates us from the other religions is that we have a God who is alive, who interacts with us. Oh, Jesus. We receive. We receive what you're doing right now. We think it not strange that our God speaks to us. We think it not strange that God you know, touches our emotions. We think it not strange. This is normal. For if there was a God, and if there was a God who loved us, wouldn't he want to be ever present with his people? Wouldn't he ever want to be present with us? And I believe there is such a God who sent His Son to show us how much He loved, to show us how much He cared just to be close to us. And today it's nothing strange that He would be near unto my heart, closer than the air I breathe. Oh, Jesus, this is where I want to dwell all the days of my life in your presence, God. Saturate me. Overtake me. Inebriate me with your love. 
saturate me, inebriate me, and overtake me with your love. Come on, let's sing it. Saturate, inebriate me, <laughs> inebriate, overtake me with your love. Come on, who wants it today? Saturate me. He inebriate me. Oh, overtake me with your Just a few more times. Saturate, Saturate me, oh God. Oh, make me drunk on your love today. With your love. One more time. Oh, yes, God. Inebriate me. Yes. Now sing, fill me up. It's time, God. It's time for a fresh filling. My tank's been on E, God. It's time for a fresh filling today. Till I can hold no more. One more time. Fill me up. Hallelujah. Would you hold the person's hand to the left and right of you? Like a conduit right now, let those rivers flow from one hand to the next. We pray for every one of you to get filled and overflowing with the boom shakalaka power of God with his love today. We pray that you will get saturated, inebriated, hallelujah, overtaken in the love of God. Would you just pray for your neighbor to the left and right of you that they'll never be the same again. After this moment, they'll never, never, never be the same again. God is moving in their life. Come on, Jesus, never the same again. Fresh filling of the Holy Ghost never 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 the same again Lord bless us bless our families pour out your love upon us use us for your glory in Jesus name if you believe it can you say amen and give him a shout of praise Come on, will you stand and keep standing and greet three or four people, slap them high five, and say, that's the boom shakalaka power of God. Come on, greet one another with the boom shakalaka. God bless you. Welcome to Metro Praise, baby. We get inebriated.
feel God's love today. Can I hear an amen? Oh, praise God. I don't know what the Lord is doing in you. I hope it is good. But I know what he's doing in me. He is changing my life. I see some tissues, so I know I'm not alone. Amen. I see some tissues over there. And I just want to tell you, this is the beginning. Somebody say the beginning. Thank you. The beginning of what God has for us. You know, I've been serving the Lord for 16 years. And year after year after year, I think to myself, there's no way it can get any better. I mean, God took me to the mountaintop, you know. But then every year, he takes me to another mountaintop. But you know what I have to go through to go to those new mountaintops? Somebody say a valley. Every time I get to a different mountaintop that I'm so glad I'm there, I look back and I realize I had to go to that, through that valley to get there. How many of you have ever gone through valleys in life? What I mean by value, a valley is a troubled time. And see, here's the thing in Christianity. There's mountaintops and there's valleys. And you've got to learn to appreciate both. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you've got to learn to appreciate both. On the mountaintops is where you experience God's boom shakalaka power, just love and mercy, and it is everything you would want it to be, and then some. And we get this mountaintop example from mountain climbers. You know, they spend their whole life planning a trip to Mount Everest, and then they'll get to Mount Everest, and it's like they'll look across the world, and, and it, it's just that epic moment. Those are mountaintops. Those are times when you just feel like you and God are like this. Every prayer's being answered. There is no devil. He's already been, you know, sent to hell. He doesn't roam the earth anymore. I mean, that's what it feels like on mountaintops. But valleys are something totally different. Valleys, you can hear the wolves howl. Ooh. You can hear the lies of the devil so clear in the valley because it echoes back and forth. And it's so loud and you feel alone. But guess what happens in that valley? Growth happens on that valley. You never see green on the mountaintops. You always see green and lush and growth in those valleys. And so God brings us there to grow. And in those scariest times, those times that we feel afraid, that's when he says he is the closest to us because he is our shepherd. And I know it's like, no, I feel closer to you and I'm on the mountaintop. But that's not how it works spiritually. Spiritually, emotionally, he is the closest to you in those valleys. The old timers used to say it like this. If it had not been for the Lord, I don't know where I would be. And so what, what that example is painting a picture is you think it's bad now walking through that valley. Imagine if God was not with you through that valley. You might lose your mind. You might have committed suicide. You might have turned your back on your family. The only reason why you're still here today is because God brought you through that valley. And so many times we want to get upset with God and say, well, he didn't bring us through that valley the way I wanted to go through it. But if it had not been for the Lord, you wouldn't have ever even gone through it. I look back on my days. I was 18 years old, and a gun was being pointed at my head. And, and a young man, my friend, jumped off the couch to get the gun out of this assailant's hand, out of this gangbanger's hand. And uh, I'll never be able to explain how 
The gun was being pulled on me, my friend jumping across the couch and taking it out of his hand. To this day, even my friend who was there said it must have been an angel that lifted me up out of that couch to get to be there at the time when the gun was going towards your head. See, if it had not been for the Lord, see, I know I wouldn't be here today. There was another time I was doing crystal meth. I was on strong narcotics, drugs, and I was ODing, and my friends were drug dealers. And the knuckleheads that they were, instead of saying, let's bring Joe to the hospital, I could hear them say this because I was passing out and continually puking. They were saying, let's go out to the country and hope he gets better, and if not, we can leave him there because we don't want the police coming back after us. So I'm in the back seat of a car, high on heroin, going into the country. And I'm hearing my friends telling me, if I don't get better, they're going to drop me off there. And I remember at that moment thinking to myself, there cannot be a drug greater than this. And I thought in that split second, but I am still so empty. And I said a prayer in my heart. I said, God, if you will spare me from this right now, I will serve you. If it had not been for the Lord that day in the back seat of a car, going down some Indiana country road, I would not be here today. How dare I now, after 16 years of the Lord's faithfulness, shake my fist at him because I don't have as much money as I want in a bank account? How dare I tell the lover of my soul, well, you're not blessing me enough, God. I only have three children, a beautiful house. You're not doing enough, God. When I deserved hell, when I deserved punishment, God loved me then as a sinner. Now, my friends, that's my testimony. That's the test that I've been through. Now, what have you been through? I mean, what has God spared you from? Maybe your, your childhood, you say, God, I, I wish I never would have had a childhood like that. But you know what? If it wasn't for the Lord, you wouldn't have made it through that childhood to be here today. And the Lord now is saying to us today in this congregation, confirmed by those words, what he is saying to us is just trust him and do it his way. Amen? Can we just pray that word one last time? Because I shared my testimony. I just feel somebody got a test. They're about ready to turn into a testimony. Father God, I pray right now for people going through tests and that, Lord, they don't know that they don't see a way out. They don't even know if there's a way out. But, God, you do. And I pray they trust you in this time because, Lord, you're going to bring them out. You're going to bring them through. And, Lord, I thank you for the valleys and the mountaintops. Would you just thank him right now? Just say, Lord, I thank you for valleys and mountaintops. I thank you for the hardships. Even though I don't agree with them, they're terrible, but I thank you that you've allowed me to go through them because they're bringing me closer to you. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, can I hear you say amen? Can you bless the Lord one more time? Because we in church this morning, amen. Woo, come on. Oh, praise him. Well, welcome to our Sunday morning service where it's never church as usual. This is 10 a.m. service. You're always welcome to come back. If you like it like this, it only gets better. Amen. And if you're new, we have visitor information in the back and a lot of cards to tell you about the church and just make you feel welcome. Also, we have a cafe in the back that has free refreshments. Just want to invite you back there to get to know us as we get to share life with you. Also, every Wednesday, we have encounter nights, times where we do this. The entire time, just meet with God.
God, hang out with Jesus, and then our children go in the back and do Royal Rangers and Impact, which is like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts for Jesus. And then uh, if we could put up the slide, this uh, Wednesday is the last Wednesday of the month. We're doing a movie night. Is this last Wednesday or is it next Wednesday? Next, in two weeks, we'll be doing a movie night, which is awesome. And so come on out, bring your friends. And by the way, this is a great time to bring people who don't normally go to church. They're like, hey, come to my church. They have fun activities during the week. So it will be that uh, last Wednesday. And then somebody make some noise for the Equafes. Come on, we're going to be going out June 14th, 15th, and 16th, Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Saturday. As we get into the next month, we're going to tell you more details about that. But I'm asking all those who can to get off of work, to come and be here Thursday night, Friday, the whole day, and all Saturday. Consider this your mission trip to Chicago. How many know Chicago needs a mission trip? Amen. We need some Jesus in Chicago. And then uh, Elevate. Amen. Elevators every week doing it up. Fridays, 7.30 here at this campus. And also, Alejandro, let's give it up for Pastor Ellie, the youth pastor of uh, Wicker Park, doing it there as well. And uh, let me just share with you a couple things uh, about our vision. Our vision is to love God and love people. Can everybody say love God and love people? Thank you. I want you to hear this because last week I talked about this a little bit, but I want you to hear it today even clearer. What makes Metro Praise Metro Praise is what you're seeing right here. It's not the good-looking pastor, the spiky hair, or the worship team. It's not the, the hip-looking uh, sanctuary we meet in. It's not the free gifts we give to the children. All of those things, I believe there's a 100 other churches in this city that do that. I believe there's great churches in this city with great facilities, great worship bands, even better-looking, thinner pastors. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> some, some like it plump, you know what I'm saying? I got a plump pastor. It was so funny because one time I was talking about being Jesus in a play, and then somebody was like, Pastor, you ain't taking off your shirt, are you? No, trust me, I will not take off my shirt and be plump gringo Jesus up here. But, but it was funny that somebody actually said that to me. I was just planning on being the Jesus that welcomes you into heaven. That was what I ended up being in the play. Anyways, this is what makes us different because we take serious the great commission of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, I want you to hear how serious this is and how it's being neglected in America. This comes from the book Think Like Jesus by George Barna. George Barna is a Christian statistician, and he went around to about 2,000 uh, Christians all across America, non-Catholic Christians, okay, so these are Protestant Christians, and he asked them these six questions. Do you believe God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe? Now, somebody say Christians. Okay, he's not talking to atheists here, okay? I want to just preface this one more time. He is talking to Christians. He said, do you believe God is all-powerful, all, uh, you know, the, the all-knowing creator? Number one. Number two, do you believe when Jesus was on this earth, he lived a sinless life? Number three, do you believe that Satan is not just a symbol of evil, but a real living entity, a real uh, spirit? Number three, do you believe a person can earn their salvation, or is it only the free gift of God? Every person, and, and then they ask, uh, and here's five, do you believe that every person that claims Christ has a responsibility to share Christ? And then lastly, do you believe the Bible is totally accurate in all that it teaches? They ask six questions. Basically, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Satan? Do you believe in salvation through Jesus? Do you believe it's your job to preach the gospel as a Christian? And do you believe in the Bible? Somebody say those are pretty easy. 
Now, how many percent of Christians in America do you think checked off all those? Let me give you the percent. Only 9% of the people who already call themselves Christians marked that to be true. I want you to get that in your mind right now. When you go to your job and somebody says, I'm a Christian, chances are 92% of the time they're going to disagree with one of those statements right there. They're going to disagree with that. They're going to say, well, the Bible's true, but it's not always true. Jesus, he might have been, you know, a good man, but he wasn't perfect. Or, you know, you can get to heaven by doing good things. You don't just have to come to Jesus and repent of sins. If I'm a good person, I'll get to go to heaven. That's a big one probably right there, right? And now George Barna begins to put these in a perspective that we can understand. You know how many are teenagers? Believe that to be true? 4% who are in church. We're not talking about those out in the world even as of yet. We're talking about 4% of teenagers that are showing up to church right now in America, non-Catholic. So we're even getting the benefit of the doubt. Protestant churches who employ Sunday schools, Bible studies, you know, that's common at Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian. Are you with me? 4% of our teenagers. To put it to you like this. There's 210 million adults in America. About 175 million claim to be Christian. Only 7 million have a biblical worldview. Now, if you don't believe it, because, you know, stats, like how do we understand millions and millions? Just ask yourself this. When was the last time you met somebody on the job that actually believed the Bible, lived the Bible, and talked like they believed the Bible? When was the last time, young people, you actually met somebody that did all of those things? It is now a rare gem, someone in this culture that actually believes those six things. I mean, just look at your, your friends. Look at the people of this society. Let's just go stand out on the corner right now and look at all the people going to the YMCA or going to Portage Park. Let's ask them, are you a Christian? Majority of them, about 8 out of 10, will say, I'm a Christian. Majority of them will say that they're a non-Catholic Christian. Maybe 60% will say they're non-Catholic, maybe not in Chicago, but around America. And, and then we'll ask them, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I guarantee you they'll begin to tell you they don't believe it. Or they have issues with it. Now, you want to know how it then plays out into our culture? Here's how it plays out into our culture. Christians who have a biblical worldview, that is Christians who actually believe just those six things, are nine times more likely to avoid pornographic material than the Christians who don't believe them. Not even just the world, but more so than the Christian. So that means we are nine times on average more purified from the filth of this world than other people going to church who don't believe and practice those things. Four times more likely to not buy products from companies that support ungodly things. Four times more likely to pray for the president and for the leadership of our country. Twice as more likely to shut off, throw away questionable materials in our home. The thing that you have to ask yourself today, because some of you have come from other churches and some that 
that are new here, and all of us have to ask ourselves the same question, is are we going to be a Christian according to the American standard, or are we going to be a Christian according to the biblical standard, which is discipleship? See, that's my, my heart as a pastor. See, because right now, pastors can have bigger crowds than us because they'll change the message and do things to, you know, engage that crowd. But in that crowd, only 7% to 9% of the adults, four and the children, are actually knowing and believing that Bible, statistically speaking. Do you know how many Christians right now attend Bible studies or Bible classes to be taught the Word of God? Not a midweek, but a place where they have a study guide, they answer questions and are accountable. Only 20% of all Christians are even being taught the Word of God. They think just showing up on Sunday is going to give them all the answers. That's why you come on, guys. You show up here for two hours, and we're a long one. Most of my, most of my friends that are my age, the hip pastors, are having an hour and 15-minute service. So you guys would already be dismissed right about now. Okay, I haven't even got to preaching yet. We haven't even took up the offering. Look at your neighbor and say, this is just the halftime report. This is just the halftime report, Glory. You go to church once a week. Listen, the average Christian goes to church once a week. They're there for two hours. After the music, the offering, the pastor, most of my friends only preach for 20, 30 minutes. You heard 30 minutes on the most important subject of your life, but spent hundreds of hours throughout that week listening to other things in that month. What do you think your worldview is going to be? If you've never been taught it, you can't live it. If you don't know it, if you haven't studied it, and that's why we're losing right now because what the church has done for the sake of money, because it's expensive running a church, for the sake of popularity, we're competing with each other. I want to have more than this church, and then i got to have more. For the sake of doing that, we've lowered the standards so far down that only 9 out of 100 of our churchgoers even know the Bible and believe it, and only 4 out of our young adults are doing it. So what have we done? Here's the illustration. We've made a place to feed goats instead of feeding sheep. We've made a place for sinners to come and remain as sinners while the sheep are in the back starving because they're not getting fed. Everything is being entertained so that the goats can keep coming and having a place to itch their religious scratch and feel better about themselves. You ever get a scratch you can't itch? That's how some people feel about religion. Oh, I just can't itch it. I got to go to church this week. Rub their back on the, the church, you know, get a little teaching. Oh, okay, I feel better. Oh, I got that itch now. I scratched it. I feel better. Let me just hear the preacher pray for me a little bit. Let's sing some songs and then go about our way. While our community is dying and going to hell. Do you want to know the number one? place of growth right now because the four percent of our young people are believing it. what are they believing now 14 percent what is bigger in our young people right now what is 14 percent of our young people are now secularists who don't believe in God they don't believe in God and if we're not careful and I don't mean to get political what you see going on downtown this society, when it rejects God, it's no coincidence that whenever a society rejects God, it always becomes a socialist, communist, dictator society. 
Because God empowers people. Knowledge is power. And when we're all created equal, we believe that we all have equal opportunity. But that's why you look at Russia, you look at China, you look at these different places, Japan and, the, and Mussolini, when Italy, when you start moving God out of the picture and you start looking to the government for your answer, you're going to make that government so big that it's going to threaten your very own right to exist. And before you know it, we will be like a China under the oppression by a God made, uh, by a man slash God government. We'll put government as God. And then we'll lose our heart and passion for what he really called us to do. A Christian nation founded upon life, love, and liberty, pursuit of happiness. Would you put up that Facebook video I have from this, from that man, Harvey? Put it up. I wanted them to see this. And I want to share this with you. This month, I didn't plan any, um, you know, sermon series. That's why I'm kind of preaching to you right now. I don't think I'm going to be much longer. But i just been really wanting to share things with the church at this season because I believe as we get into summer with Boricua Fest, we get to outreaching, more and more people are going to be coming and more and more seats are going to get filled up and more and more people will get offended and leave so that more seats can be filled up by disciples, okay? It always keeps happening. Are you listening to me? But I want you to hear my heart. We're not angry at anybody. I don't care if they leave and they say, Joe's so crazy. You know, he talks about discipleships all the time. He preaches us. You know, there's another way. I don't care if they think there's another way they go to another church. That's fine. I'm not angry with them. I'm just angry with the devil that has lied to them, that told them that foolish nonsense. When Jesus walked the earth, he didn't say, okay, Peter, James, and John, and all you guys, disciples, I'm going to give you two options. One option will be discipleship, and it's going to be really hard, and sometimes you're going to want to quit. And the other one is making every day of Friday your best life now, uh, you know, having, you know, uh, cotton candy with free pony rides and pinatas. Okay, he, Jesus didn't give them two options. Are you all listening to me? Are you ready with that video? Just let me know when you find it. It's on my Facebook, and, you, and you'll find it there. But I want you to turn with me quickly in the Scripture because it's not what I say nor what the, the book says. But it's what, uh, what God says in his word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. This is not my sermon, but I did plan on preaching two sermons today. So just bear with me. In India, they have me preach five in one day. Just we stop, we take bathroom break, we come back, preach again, stop, take bathroom break, and just keep going. Then I heard about the brothers in China, and then they say they do eight, or basically for the eight hours they're in church. So it's like China outdoes India. <laughs> Somebody's just like, but I'm an American. Don't be trying that stuff around here. It was so funny. I actually asked my wife, should we take breaks in the middle of the service and 15-minute breaks so I can go back to preaching another sermon like two in one uh, day? She was like, no, we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. Because I was serious. I was like, I won't preach one message on just getting you saved every week. Just every week is going to be get right with God for like the first 20 minutes, and then we would dismiss, get some refreshments, come back, and then now how to live for Jesus for the next 40 minutes. Pretty creative though, right? Because like every week you're going to make sure you hear the gospel, amen? Are you with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, it says, But you, man of God, somebody say, but me, man or woman of God, Come on, which one are you? But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So there's uh, five things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Six things, rather. 
that we are supposed to pursue in, in, in opposition to what? The things that he mentioned above, and there's two things that draw people in that will send and damn their soul to hell. The first one in verse 3 is if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. Okay? So the thing that you're supposed to flee is false doctrine. And false doctrine would say that you're better than the doctrine of the Bible. So it's false, but the pride, the conceit that comes in is, I don't have to believe those six things. So if you would talk to somebody right now and you would say, do you believe those six things? They would probably say, no, I don't have to believe those six things. I'm okay and God understands after all, nobody is perfect. But Paul is warning Timothy. He says, you flee from these things. And what is he supposed to flee from? Flee from those false doctrines that take away from godly teaching in Jesus Christ because those who do it are conceited and understand nothing, nada. They don't get it. You start denying who God is. You start denying that Jesus lived a sinless life. You start denying that salvation is only through Jesus. It's not by being a good person. You start denying those things. You understand nothing. And if you won't let a Christian teach you because you don't think it matters, you are conceited. False teaching will damn your soul to hell. That's why it's so important in this culture to get taught the gospel. More than ever before, YouTube University and Google College is informing people's decisions. You go to YouTube, you see all this nonsense. Some of these young people show me zeitgeist movies. They show me evolutionary stuff. And all of it's there to try to boggle the mind, to try to confuse you. You have to be taught sound doctrine in this culture and age. And sound doctrine isn't me revealing to you the four horsemen of the apocalypse or telling you who the Antichrist is. Sound doctrine is knowing those six things, the core fundamentals. Are you listening? Chicago was famous for being the place where all of the Christians got together and made what we now know as the fundamental movement. They made the fundamentals here in Chicago in the 1800s because the church was being so bombarded back then by the lies that the Bible wasn't true, that evolution was going to dismount the truth of the Bible, etc. Have you found the video yet? It's by Harvey, and it's a prediction of the prophecy of what's going to happen and I shared it, and I said, you got to watch this video. Nancy, would you help him, please? Thank you. Everybody say, false teaching will damn my soul. Come on. The second thing that can damn my soul and your soul is what he says here in verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Somebody say many griefs. Thank you. So now you understand verse 11 where it says, but you, man of God, flee all of this. What are you fleeing? You are fleeing false doctrine. That means you need to pursue right teaching, righteousness. And what are you fleeing? You are fleeing the love of money. Now, has there ever been, I'm just asking somebody here, come on, anybody who knows history, culture, many different countries represented here, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen in your lifetime, the amount of greed and waste, fame, the seeking after fame, and any other time in your life. 
I mean, we put to shame the people of the 60s and 70s. I mean, what they had going on is not even close. You take the average movie star, what they made in the 60s and 70s, the average musician, the average TV star, the average person that played sports, and triple it, quadruple it. Everybody wants to play sports and make money when their kid's growing up. Or they want to be rich or they want to own this house or have this kind of a lifestyle. We in this culture have bought into the lie that more money makes us happy. And yet we have not understood the Bible told us a long time ago that the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. Now I'm going to have you watch this video and then I'm going to tell you why Metro Praise is here and why we're what we're doing is special what we're doing is important and why i want you to be a part of it but uh andrew thank you for your help would you turn down uh, the lights and let's watch this video from a newscaster a journalist in 1965. I'd submit the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What do you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Paul Harvey. 
said that as a newscaster in 1965. Before metal detectors, dogs were ever in schools, before state lotteries were so rampant, before reality TV show, before taking God bless America out of our graduation ceremonies, all of that he saw. Why? Because all you have to do is just look at history. All you have to do is look at what happens when people turn their back on God. What begins to follow? David Wilkerson, a pastor around close to the same time, wrote a book, Put the Trumpet to Thy Mouth. He's now going home with the Be With the Lord. He was the founder of Teen Challenge. He said the same exact things. He said, within my lifetime, we will watch pornography become legal and placed upon the television. And you've got to understand, from the 50s perspective, the 60s perspective, this was absolutely unheard of that this would be true. Today in America, for the very first time, more children are being born out of wedlock than are being born in marriages. For the first time, our families have been corroded. Our children are being raised up in schools where violence and pornography and drugs is a common place. And Paul was telling Timothy, he was saying, you need to flee these things. You need to flee false doctrine, and you need to flee the love of money. So please put up our vision. I believe that if you were to summarize these six things that we're supposed to do, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, you could sum it up by verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. You and I need to fight for our faith. You cannot sit back and be passive in your faith. You have got to fight for it. And the first battle is for your own heart, for your own mind. What are you going to believe? Is God all-knowing? Is God all-powerful? Or is God not real? Is the Bible true? Or is it just like every other myth book out there, like, uh, you know, the stories you've heard as a child? Are you going to believe what God said about salvation, that there's a heaven and hell, and only those who believe in Jesus get to go? Well, it doesn't sound nice, Pastor, but it's true. If I tell you my back door is locked, the only way you're coming into this house is through the front door. You can throw a fit all you want, but the only way you're getting in is through this door. Are you listening? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what he said. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's no one else. Jesus said him. And so here's the message within the message that I wanted to share with you today. Is that Metro Praise is here to love God and love people. That's what God says is the most important thing to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how do we do that, my friends? We want to connect you to the cross. We want to mentor you and teach you about the cross. And we want to send you out there to change the world with the cruz of Jesus Christo, with the cross of Jesus Christ. The way you connect to the cross here is you get involved in life groups. Is anybody excited about life groups today? Come on. Life groups is the place where you come and be yourself in somebody's house and you have food, fun, and fellowship.
You get together and you start looking at the Bible personally. You start answering questions personally that you have. We start to pray for you personally. You get involved in that life group because no matter how big the crowd gets here, we always want you to know we care about you individually. Amen? And then the second thing we want you to do is get mentored. Everybody say mentor. Thank you. And that means to start with the one-on-one book, one-on-one with your life group leader. So you show up to that life group and you say, man, I'm ready for God to change my life. And you're there. They'll say, let's make a time either before or after where we can start going through this book together. And what does this teach? The fundamentals, the doctrines who Jesus is, what salvation is, how to pray, how to do good things in your life, how to obey the Lord. All of our doctrines are on the back. We have more than six, and you can study them all. This will help you grow. Somebody say it's time to grow. And then after you finish that one-on-one, we have a class that meets here with Jared Adams, an SUM graduate. Let's give it up for Jared Adams. Come on. Or Jared Walker. Jared Adams is my high school friend, amen, and I call my child Isaac, and his name is Lucas, and you're Jared Adams to me, amen. And this meets now every Sunday, and it's 12 lessons on Christian leadership. If I could ask you to do anything in life, I would say, would you join with us and connect to the cross, get in a life group, get mentored. And then we're going to send you out to change the world because we know if God has equipped you and changed you and empowered you, you're going to want to share that with others everywhere you go. That's how we make a change, my friends. It's not through free productions. It's not through Christian rock bands. We have all of that, and we're still tanking right now with the worldview. How do we change the world? The way Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you until the end of the age. Come on, is Jesus with you today? He's with his church. And you could talk to anybody right now around the world. Where is the church of Jesus Christ growing? In China. Where is it growing? In Africa. Where is it growing? In India, reshaping governments, reshaping culture, changing it from communism to Christian, changing it from oppression to liberty. How? By discipleship. That's how the underground church in China is winning 100 million Chinese believers. A million right now are being won a month, they say, to the Lord. 12 million a year because they're making disciples that make disciples and they're changing the landscape. Even Russia is starting to get a piece of the pie right now as they're sending missionaries up through Mongolia to Russia. God is moving through discipleship. And the question is, do you just want to be a Sunday morning church at tender or do you want to be a radical roof breaker holy ghost world shaker and history making disciple if you believe it let's make a hundred thousand here in chicago with 50 campuses and 500 around the world if you believe we can do it would you stand to your feet give god some praise and ask him to use you hallelujah Would you use us, Father, in the name of Jesus?
Let me pray this over our congregation. God, we will flee false teachings and the love of money in this culture. And we will pursue righteousness, doing what's right. Godliness, acting like our Father God. Faith, trusting in you. Love, preferring others above ourselves. Endurance, not giving up. Gentleness, being kind even to our enemies. Lord, we make a decision today to fight the good fight of faith. And we ask you to bring a whole lot of people with us. Bring our neighbors, bring our families, and set this city on fire. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. We're going to receive the tithing offering, and I'll ask the band to play a little bit longer so you guys can stretch your feet. Just feel comfortable and relax a little bit before I share with you the, the last message before we leave out of here. I just want to thank you for all you do at Metro Praise to make this church possible. We're right now asking you to join with us in our fundraising and our capital giving campaign. We need an additional $2,500 a month to go to our building fund to clear off debt and pay for things we've already bought. And $1,200 to go to missions. We believe if everybody would simply uh, be a tither and then give an offering, we can get this done in Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen? Amen. A tithe is 10% of your total income. We believe that belongs to the Lord. And then as you have that 90%, if you would consider giving something extra and circling building fund and giving something extra and circling missions, we can do what God called us to do. Right now on the mission field, God is blessing us. We are in five different nations with over 250 churches, and we're starting to plan our trip to go there, Philippines, India, and Nepal in August. And we're going to talk about that next month. Amen. As we're getting ready to do a mission trip here for Bodiqua Fest, I'm going to help you to help us get out there and change the world because they need us out there. And i got to get you guys ready to send us out there because when I go, I take everybody with me in my pocket. And then I show the pictures, and then I say, this is from us. Can you say amen? So keep praying for our churches out there. And let's pray today because I know we all need it. Father, would you bless us to be a blessing, God? We thank you, Lord, that in the natural they say things are picking up. But, God, for some that may not be enough. So, Lord, we ask you to provide right now. We ask you to open up doors of opportunity. We ask you to favor your people, Lord. And, Lord, we also pray for what's going on downtown Chicago, God, that with our leadership and the leadership around the world, there would be peace because they put the Prince of Peace into those meetings, God. We pray you give them wisdom to lead this nation the right way so we can truly say, God bless America. Oh, Lord, be with our soldiers to protect our freedoms all across this world, God. And, Lord, we just pray that you'll bless us, our children and our children's children. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. Can we say this on the count of three is our faith pledge? One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come dancing and rejoicing? Thank you. And just fellowship for a little bit. Take a breather. Thank you.
awesome. Can you guys give the band a hand clap? They did awesome. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I think today my message is going to be longer than the announcement, so don't worry. God is good. Got some good things to share with you today from God's Word. Last uh, time we were reading in Matthew, we did the Beatitudes. That was two weeks ago. We took a break last week for Mother's Day to share something important about the value of life. How many walked away from last week's message as we learned about life being a vapor and valuable to Christ? How many were blessed by that, walked away different? Amen. I, I just really shared my heart with you that day, and I hope that it, it was a blessing. Today I want to share with you the message, salt and light. Everybody say salt and light. Thank you. This is uh, going right along with the message that I was just sharing during announcements about us being disciples. And now I want you to hear it from Jesus out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Can everybody say salt and light? Thank you. Today's message is here to encourage you to be who God called you to be. If you are born again and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are the salt and light of this world. It's not like you're going to be salt or light. No, you already are. Now, if you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart, we love you. We're glad you're here. Someone will be up here to pray with you at the end of this service so that you can be born again and accept Christ into your life. But at that moment, you accept Christ into your life, this will apply to you. So there's nobody here that this doesn't apply to. First and foremost, how many here have asked Jesus into their heart? Can I see you raise your hands in the air? Can I see you wave them like you just care? Come on, amen, amen. You love Jesus, right? You, you accepted the Lord. How many are happy you accepted Jesus? How many, if you could do it over again, you would have done it a lot sooner? Hey, come on. Get back your 20s. Get back your teens. Get back your 30s, 40s, and 50s, however old you were when you first accepted them. I wish I could get back my teenage years. But all of us now who raised our hands, this is not a suggestion from God. This is not something for the spiritually elite, like as if there's three different levels in the kingdom. There's the salt and the light, and then there's the people who just show up on Sundays and become bumps on a log. There's not three different options here. The moment you accept Christ, this is what you are. You are now salt and you are now light. And I want to encourage you to be who you are. Now, is there anybody here, please don't raise hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but is there any men here that wake up in the morning and struggle being a man? Maybe you look at yourself and you go, I don't know if I'm a man today. Kind of feel like a woman. Now, there are people in our culture who deal with that, and there's a, a place of prayer for you up here as well. And we welcome you, whatever you're dealing with. But the most part, is there any men that wake up here today and go, I'm going to try real hard to be a man today. 
Maybe when some of us were young men, we wanted some of the hair on the chest, so we would, you know, pour some of that alcohol on there and try to get the hair on the chest or whatever would make us machismo. I'm telling on myself here a little bit. Or shave three times a day because they say if you shaved more, it would come out. Is there any women here? I mean, that look in the mirror and go, I just want to be a woman today. Mm, here I go. Now there's women that don't think they're beautiful or fabulous, and they look at these, uh, these you know, fake plastic images on newspaper ads, and I'm not talking about that because that's not a woman. That's, that's a cartoon. That's a fictional picture. Can I hear an amen? And we know women that that has changed over the years. And it's become so outlandish that now in the supermodel industry, they're actually having to have tests for them if they're anorexic now to see if they can even continue to, to be models. And it's like, well, if you think that's a problem, will you stop asking them to model your clothes? Get some normal, full-figured, healthy women to model your clothes. Can I hear an amen from the sisters right now? Amen. amen. So we don't look at the mirror and say, I want to be a man today. I want to be a woman. You just are one. That's who you are. Now you need to live up to who you are. So as a man, there are certain things that go along with being a man. Men need to be gentlemen. Somebody say gentlemen. That means you need to open the doors for the ladies. You need to be kind and respectful. You, you need to pay for things, gentlemen. Amen. And so those are duties. Now, men can become better men. Men can become more effective at being men, better uh, gentlemen, more respectable. And the same thing with women. The Bible says, and I'm just going to have to say it just the way the Bible says, to be quiet and submissive. Oh, it gets all quiet right now. The women don't like me and the men are afraid to say amen. But that's what the Bible says, that women shouldn't be breaking their necks, snapping their fingers, getting all upset. But women should be quiet and submissive. That doesn't mean you got to stay at home barefooted, taking care of the kids and cooking. It just says you should have a quiet spirit and a humble spirit and be, be pretty on the inside just like you are on the outside with a pretty attitude. Are you all listening to me? And so the same thing is here with salt and light. You could kind of see them complimenting each other and that they are speaking metaphorically of who we are. But the question isn't, are you this? Because we've already settled, you are salt, you are light as a Christian. The question is, what kind of salt are you and what are you doing with your light? The question to a man isn't, are you a man? DNA, physical evidence, yes, you're a man. No, but what kind of man are you? Are you a man that just makes babies and doesn't take care of your children? I just saw on the news there's a man now that they have found that he has fathered 30 children with 14 different women. Anybody seen that? And it wasn't on uh, Inquirer in the magazine. It was just on a normal news channel. 40 children, uh, 30, 40 children with 14 different women. Now, we would say to him, what kind of man are you? We wouldn't say, are you a man? No, it's obvious. You're a man. You're getting the job done, right? But you're not a good man. You're not a responsible man. And we could say the same thing to the women that keep falling for this joker's tricks. What is wrong with you, honey? How many did you drink last night to look at this dude and think he's a good one? Is he really all that? 
did, did you not know that his cell phone was blowing up all the time with all them baby mamas? So we would say, we know you're a woman because you bore the children. But are you a smart woman? We don't know. See, the question isn't, are you salt or light? No, the Bible says you are that. The question is, what kind of salt are you and what are you doing with your light? Let's look at salt. Now, we all know what salt is. Salt is a preservative. It's a mineral that's found upon this earth. It's generally used for preserving and flavoring things, but it can also use to, pres uh, to purify things. So it can purify, it can preserve, and it can season. How many here know how to season some food with some salt and maybe some Goya, maybe a little Tony's, a little some cayenne pepper? Come on. You know how to use it. How many have ever made something and put too much salt and it wasn't good, right? I remember one time I was making uh, cookies. My mom wasn't home, and, you know, I took a bag that looked just like sugar, and I put a cup of it in there. But when I went to taste it, it was not sweet at all. I used the salt instead of the sugar. Has anybody ever done that before? I've done that. I'm telling on myself. I'm the weirdy. That's okay. So the, the question is, we know what even salt is. So Jesus is not saying you, you are the, uh, the nuclear protoplasm of life. You, you, you are the microbiological form of life. No, he doesn't go into some deep thing. He says salt. You see it everywhere you go. You, you cook with it. You eat with it. They're no different than us. He says that's what you are. Who, me? Yes, that's what you are. But if you lose your saltiness, how do you get salty again? It says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. What's the difference between the salt we put on the table and the salt we put out on the streets in the winter? It's really the same kind of mineral, sodium chloride. It's the same thing coming out from the earth, which is left over from oceans evaporating. That's where salt comes from. But what is the difference to you and I, thinking people, rational people? Do you look at that salt in the front of your house and go, I'm going to save money on salt today, honey. Go get me a bucket here. All this is right here. I mean, we're thinking about buying it. Just put it right in here, grind it up. Let's just put it in my... Uh, you know, put it on our salad. Now, technically, you could do that. You would be crazy. We would not want to eat your food. But you could do that. But what is the main difference between that salt and that salt that's in that nice little clear glass bottle or a container with the little silver top that you see at restaurants? The difference is purity. Purity. You see that other salt that they're pouring on the ground, they just dug that up. It's got dirt in it. It's got a whole lot of other junk in it. So it is not salty as salt can be when it's purified from all of that other junk. And the question that I want to ask you today is what kind of salt are you? Are you the kind when we get around you, we can taste the goodness of God, the flavor of the Holy Spirit, or when we get around you, is it, oh, what's wrong with that person's attitude? What's wrong with the way that person talks? I just get this nasty feeling and taste in my mouth when I hear them talk and what I see on their Facebook, how they treat their wife. Look at your neighbor and say, it just got real. 
You see, the question is what kind of salt are you? already salt. But are you the pure kind of salt that God can use? Or are you the kind of salt that is getting polluted by this world? If you're getting polluted by this world, not me, but Jesus says, you're good for nothing except to be trampled on by men. Now that's got a sting right there. It is no longer good for anything. Just make sure I'm not reading into this too much. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Did I do a pretty good job as your preacher summarizing that? If you're not the right kind of salt, according to Jesus, you're good for nothing but to be trampled on by men. That should be to us a severe warning. That if we don't get our life right, God is going to say to us, you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing. Now, I want you to see this in another passage where Jesus actually deals with people that aren't living the way they're supposed to. Will you go with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 16? And as you're on your way there, would you go, ooh, come on, Revelation. It's going to get real right now. You know when we go to the last book, it's going to be tight but right. Now, Jesus, who always loves metaphors because he's from heaven where we've never been, so the only way he can communicate heavenly truths to us is by using earthly metaphors. No one's ever been to heaven. We don't know what it looks like and have come back to tell about it. So every time he talks to us, he's got to use metaphors. In the one right before in Matthew, he's saying, you're like salt and light. This time he's going to use hot and cold. Look at verse 16. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. See, Jesus said to these people, you make me puke. Has anybody ever tasted something lukewarm that was either supposed to be hot or cold and you spit it out? Maybe milk that had been laying around stagnant and you forgot you left it out and you quickly, you, know, you drank it and you quickly spit it out? Here's a little side note with me, not quite related, but somewhat related. I drank alcohol a couple days ago. I think it was vodka and a few other drinks, uh, rum and a whole bunch of stuff. Now, as you're looking at me crazy, let me tell you the story, okay? So, now that I got your attention, my friend wanted to take me to Fogo de Chao. He's traveling to Guatemala. Those of you from Guatemala, I have a friend there visiting. And he wanted to go to this uh, Brazilian steakhouse. He had heard so much about it. And so we show up over there, and we're having a good time. And they make this lemon drink that is out of this world. And by the way, I don't go there often, just birthday and anniversaries type stuff, okay? So we get there. He's new. I'm trying to explain to him, you know, you flip over this card. If it's green, they come to your uh, table with a freshly skewered and barbecued meat they cut it put it right on the table and when you're done you flip it over on the red and then you eat and as long as you have it on green they're just going to keep coming how many have ever done it okay I'm weird but just keep track it's good by the way so they're coming with food and all this and, and so I'm explaining this to him while the waitress is there and I'm like I want this lemony drink that is so awesome I get it every time with my wife and she's like she said some name and I'm like yeah that name okay so how many already know where the story is going right now okay so she said that name, and this thing came, and it looked a little different. That should have clued me in. And so I, I'm thirsty. You guys know me. If you've ever been out to eat, I'm a guzzler. I had about two or three big guzzles before I spit it back out because that drink was some, it was white like this with some lemon in it, and it was strong. And I just said, what was in it? And the first word I heard her say was vodka and a whole bunch of other stuff. 
Now, don't y'all be using that as an excuse now to try that. Well, Pastor, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was just like you. I spit it out of my mouth. And the weird thing is, this is so weird because my wife's laughing in the back. Four years ago, I was at an outreach, very much the same thing. We were out at a bar and grill, bar and grill, and we were out there at the top of the, you know, outside, and we were all thirsty, and I was talking again. I wasn't paying attention, and I saw this, this lemonade. It's always lemonade. I don't know what's up with lemonade, and what are people spiking lemonade for? What's going on with our culture all jacked up and crazy? So I just point to this thing, and I just say, I want this right here, what this is, because it was lemonade. This thing came in a bottle, had a screw on top to it. I'm like, yeah, this is the kind of lemonade I want. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my gosh, it was so hot. It was like July, and I just drank it. And then once again, what did I have to spit out? Mike's Hard Lemonade, which now they have commercials about, and I understand what it is. So two times, being a lemonade drinker has got me in trouble. Probably more me running my mouth, not paying attention to what I'm ordering. But I had to spit it out because it was repulsive to me. And by the way, man, I forgot how nasty alcohol tastes. Kids, it is nasty. It is nasty. It is not good tasting. No matter how cool they make it look like on TV, it is not fun, cool at tasting. It is not even good tasting. It's nasty. And I was so repulsed by it. It it just, you know, it just had to come out. Even before I recognized that it was alcohol, and I'm convicted to drink it by the Lord, but it was just the nasty taste of it. And I'm thinking about what Jesus is saying here. He says, you're neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth. Kind of like, you know, my mom, she would make coffee, and sometimes she would set it down, and she would forget about it, and then she would come back, and then she would taste it, and it was neither hot nor cold, and she would spit it out. Or a time I was with my friend, and they had left milk around, and they had curdled, and they didn't know about it, and then they took a drink out of it, and then they had to spit it out. See, the God, God is telling us here as Christians, as believers, we can either be hot or cold, but lukewarm gets spit out of his mouth. And look at the things that they were saying, why they were saying that they don't need to be hot or cold. Look at verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and to put salve on your eyes so that you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke. Everybody say, Jesus loves me so much, he rebukes me and he disciplines me. Amen. So be earnest and repent. Now quickly turn to Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to give you the things in your life that can make you lukewarm and have you lose your saltiness, that can take away the purity of that salt that God wants you to have. And you can have these things as a Christian. Somebody say a Christian. Come on, I'm not talking about devil worshipers. I'm not talking about people that go to psychics. By the way, I saw they just started Enlightenment Corner down here on Six Corners with a woman that does psychic readings and all that. Anybody wants to follow Jared and I, I just heard the Lord tell me we're going to show up there and preach the gospel to them. Amen? So go see Jared. We'll tell you the day we're going to go over there, and we're going to lay hands on that place and believe God to set her free. Amen? I've been waiting to cast out a devil. It's been a while. Amen? Sometimes I only see it in India. we got to find them here. Amen? you got to go on a Casting out the devil hunt, amen? And if I get arrested, somebody post bail for me, please. Somebody. 
Come down there and see me. Amen. We're going to do our best not to let that happen. What's funny, by the way, people have said to me, Pastor, you ever get punched or anything? I say, no, I've never got punched or anything. But my friend Wayne, he's about this big. He gets punched all the time. <laughs> Can't figure out why he keeps getting punched. I don't get punched. I think because they look at me, they're, they're drunk, and they're like, I'm going to hit you. And I think they look at me, and they're like, nah, that's probably not the Christian I want to hit. <laughs> he looks saved, but I don't know how saved he is. <laughs> And I always used to tell them that, too, when I was at Mardi Gras witnessing on the streets. And they would get, more to happen if I punch you? You don't want to find out. I've only been saved a year. I'm in Bible college. I ain't got much to lose. <laughs> oh, praise him. Some of y'all think I'm kidding, but it's serious. That's why you got to pray for your pastor. Look at verse 18 of Galatians chapter 5, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, verse 19. So that means if we're doing what's right by God's Word, we don't need to be told how bad things can be because we should be living for God. We don't need to be told don't murder, don't steal, because people living for God should do that. But if you're not, this is what you're going to do. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. How many know that sounds like Jersey Shore right there? How many know that just sounds like some of the movies some of y'all went and watched last night? How many know that sounds like Hangover 1 and 2? Looks like what you see all the time on TV. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So we're all salt as Christians. But what kind of salt are we? Are we that dirty kind of salt with the deeds of the flesh in our life where God looks at us and says, I want to puke you out of my mouth. You're good for nothing except to be trampled on by men. At this point, it's good for me to remind you that there's a place called hell, my friends. Hell is just not for rapists and murderers and genocidal maniacs. Hell is for anyone that lives without Christ and his commands. Jesus told us those things. He said in John 14, 16, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, says this, if we say we know him but do not live like him, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. All those who say they know him ought to also live like him. If you say you know him, but you're not living like him, you're a liar. If you're letting these things get in your life, saying, I'm rich, I'm okay, I have no problems, get out of my business, pastor. You're not realizing that you could be in danger of getting spit out of Jesus' mouth, being thrown on the ground, and being trampled in hellfire. What are the things that we shouldn't have in our life? What are those things that dirty that salt? Sexual impurity. Sexual immorality and debauchery, three things that sex will mess with your spiritual life. Sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. Impurity is sexual things, whether with men, with men, women, with men, women. And debauchery is being dirty in your mind, perversion, pornography. So don't have sex unless you are in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship. That is the only time sex or sexual things can be done. Married, man and one, one, one man, one woman, in a monogamous relationship. Men having sex with women outside of marriage, that's sexually immoral. 
Men having sex with men, that's sexually immoral. Men having sex with multiple women, polygamy, and marrying them, that's immoral. And if we don't understand it sexually in those terms, he says it right down at the end, orgies is also a sin, and that's in your Bible. That's a weird word to see in your Bible, isn't it? They even have it in the children's version, my friends. That's, that's crazy. And think about in our culture how normal that word has become now. Where before, even when I was growing up, that was crazy. You didn't see girl on girl, guy on girl. You didn't see sex parties. You didn't see marriage swinging couples. That was kind of underground in the 80s and 90s. Now they're flaunting it. Are you listening? Okay. Sexual immorality, to have sex with somebody you're not married to. Impurity, to do everything but sex. Oral sex, heavy petting and touching and nudity. Sexual behaviors. And then debauchery is the perversion of the mind. So what is the sexual uh, way to live for, as a Christian? Find a man or a woman, get married, and stay sexually active with them. Everything else is impure. Thinking of naked people and women and pornography and men and all that is impure. And doing sexual things, same sex is impure. All of it's impure. And it's said in those three words. The next one, idolatry. Idolatry is to place anything above God. Now, we would say, well, I don't have a Buddha in my house. I'm not bowing down to a statue. But what's that 65-inch thing you got in the, in the living room? Do you spend more time with that than you do with Jesus? Gets quiet when I preach like this. It's time, but it's right. What about your gym? Fellas going there pumping iron three, four, five times a week. Still only about a buck twenty-five. Hello? That gym has become your idol. It was the last time you lifted some spiritual uh, weights with Jesus. Anything you put before God and your attention towards God is an idol. He said, you have no other gods before me. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is the practicing of magical arts and potions. Do you know what they call that word in Greek, witchcraft? It's pharmakeia. What does the word pharmakeia sound like today in English? Pharmacies. In the time of the Greco-Roman Empire, drugs were done in witchcraft seances. They were connected to religion as, as similar as peyote and marijuana was to the American Indian. That's how it was in their day. So people come to me and go, hey, man, it doesn't talk about not smoking weed in the Bible, man. Like every herb is given for our good. Praise the Lord. Jaw. You know, and they want to become Rastafarian smoking weed. Somebody's like that. Come on, I know I'm preaching to somebody today. If not you, it's your neighbor, amen? When you feel that coming from their room or their house, that's not a, that's not a candle or, air, or, or, you know, some type of air freshener. That's weed. They're smoking weed, amen? Praise God. Somebody would say, well, it doesn't tell me not to smoke weed. Right there it does. Pharmakeia, practicing magical arts with potions. Those drugs, we call them recreational now. Those are potions. It's no coincidence that I did all the crazy stuff I did high on drugs because drugs open you up to a spiritual realm whether you're aware of it or not. Stay away from drugs. Stay away from witchcraft. Hatred, discord. You can't hate people. You've got to forgive your enemies. Discord, causing trouble. Jealousy, being jealous of what somebody else has. See, it moved away from the real crazy stuff to stuff that I think we could deal with every day. You're ever jealous of the promotion, you know, something that somebody else gets, your neighbor gets promoted, better car, better house, young people, nicer shoes, nicer iPad, etc., nicer iPhone. Jealousy will destroy the saltiness of your life. Fits of rage. Fits of rage is anger out of control. We see it all the time in traffic, and I always joke about it, but really, have we ever stopped and just thought about how crazy people are in this city? 
I'm talking screaming at the top of their lungs. I was driving out to Fox River on in Algonquin Road, and I, I mean, these suburban people are just as crazy as Chicago people yelling and screaming, and then the guy peeled out. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm about ready to watch somebody die. And I'm serious, man. People in Chicago have fits of rage over traffic because our culture is like that, selfish ambition, doing things just for ourselves. Dissensions and factions mean to gossip and cause problems with your friends and family. Does anybody ever know, has anybody ever here ever met a gossip? Okay, now. A gossip, a gossiper. Sorry if you didn't hear me correctly. Got a little slur today. What's going on? Anybody ever here ever met a gossip? Has anybody here ever met a gossip? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, all the rest of you not raising your hand, look at them because those are the ones gossiping because they ain't raising their hands. Okay? Now, back to what it is. What Factions and envy, dissensions, what they do is people go behind other people's back. Oh, did you know so-and-so said this about you? Did you know so-and-so did this? And they cause problems. Drunkenness means to indulge in alcohol to the point of not being able to use your faculties. Orgies, we've already discussed that, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will you turn with me back to Matthew 5 in closing? Band, would you come, please? We're going to close out today. Because the same principles of the salt being purified also apply to the light. And we're going to close out today with these illustrations. You are the salt of the earth, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Question mark. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. What will take away the saltiness of your life? What will make it like that salt that's thrown on the ground? The sinful things that we read in Galatians chapter 5. What will purify it again? What Revelations chapter 3, 16 and onward says, repenting and coming to the Lord and he will be a purifying fire within you and make you white again, make you salty again. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, what are you doing with your light? Galatians continues to go on and says, don't do the deeds of the flesh, but do the fruit of the Spirit. Love. You are a beacon of love in this world. Don't hide your love. Let your love be like a city on a hill where everybody can see the love of God. When it's dark on the job and nobody can see love on that job, you shine love on that job. Joy in the darkness of this world when nobody has joy. Don't hide your joy and be ashamed of your joy. Put your joy on display because in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to shine, baby. Come on, it is time to shine. It's time to let the love shine. Don't hide it. It's time to let joy come out of your life and shine to this world. Peace. How many have some peace on the inside that even passes your own understanding? You can't even explain it to your neighbor how you can go through what you're going through, but you can get your shine on. You can shine peace. Patience. 
shining patience. God help me to shine patience with my wife and kids. Hallelujah. Shine that patience. Say you're sorry when you're wrong and impatient. Kindness. Shine your kindness to this world. Be kind in traffic. Be kind to your neighbor. Goodness. Shine goodness wherever you are, especially young people. Somebody at your school is just looking for a friend at the lunch table. Shine your goodness. Hey, is anybody sitting here? Can I be your friend? Can I get to know you? I'm not weird. I don't mean like that, but I just want to shine some goodness. Faithfulness. Shine your faithfulness. Don't quit. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on your children. Don't quit on getting out there and finding another job. Don't quit on realigning your life. Don't quit on your walk with the Lord. Don't quit on discipleship. Shine your faithfulness. Show people an example of what it's like to serve the Lord. Gentleness. Somebody needs to be gentle in this world. We're all so harsh and quick to be angry. Somebody needs to come out from under the bowl, the the bushel, and put some gentleness on their job. Put some gentleness in their family. Be polite. Use manners. Don't be rude. And last of all, we need to have, well, there is no uh, self-control. There is one more. Somebody say self-control. Shine self-control to this world we're obese like we've never been because we can't control our eating we're having more addiction to prescription drugs more people today are addicted to shopping and all of these addictions that come into our life would you shine the self-control you might say pastor i don't know if i have love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness and self-control you're right you don't god has it and he's already given it to you and he says you're salt and he says your light so what does he ask you to do Matthew chapter 5 let your good deeds shine before the men of this world let God make you good on the inside walk by his spirit and he'll purify that salt and set your life on fire and I love what John Wesley said God set my life on fire so the world can watch me burn if you want to be the salt and light that he calls you to be would you stand to your feet raise your hands to heaven and say Lord make me salty and set my life on fire altar workers would you come we're going to close out in prayer come on just ask the Lord to make you salty if there's anything that I mentioned today that needs to be purified out of your heart we're going to ask you to come forward when we dismiss to receive prayer so that you can get set free from that junk If there's anything in your life that I name from that deed of the flesh, let Jesus purify you. And today, if you want increase of the fire of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, you need to come forward. We're going to pray those things to shine through you for the world to see. Father, I thank you today that you have called us to be salt and light and Lord, It starts here in my life. Come on, make it personal right now before you go. It starts in my life, God. I don't want to be thrown out and trampled by men. I don't want to hide under a bushel, under a a bucket, God. 
I want to shine for you, Jesus. I don't have to be light and I don't have to be salt. You've already made me it. But Lord, I decide today what kind of salt I want to be and where I want my light to be. And I decide today to be salty for you. To season this world with the good cayenne pepper of life. To purify it. To preserve my family with the things that you're doing in my life, God. Oh, God. And shine through me, Jesus. Even when I don't feel like it, God. Would you shine through me, Lord? Come on, I just feel the anointing on that before we go. Come on, just shine through me, Jesus. Come on, some of you right now, you know you just need a dose of the Holy Ghost. You need to get some more of the fruit of the Spirit budding off your life right now. Shine for Jesus. Shine for the Lord. Let people see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And Lord, as we do those things, Oh, God, as we do them, give us the strength to always give you the glory. Because we don't make ourselves salt and light. Let us always remember to say thank you for what you do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, if you love the Lord, can I hear an amen today? Amen. Can you bless him today? God bless you. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed, but we're going to stay up here and worship those that want to sing songs with us. Or if you need prayer for anything, come forward. We'll pray with you now. Otherwise, you're dismissed. We'll see you at Life Groups. Thank you for coming by this morning. God bless you.